0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. I want to uh, read a a passage, read just a couple of verses actually, from uh, the end of Hebrews chapter 12. Think about our call to worship this morning. Verse 28 says, Hebrews 12 Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In the context of that uh, challenge, that admonition to us this morning, the writer at the end of, end of Hebrews chapter 12 is contrasting uh, God's. Uh, speaking to the children of Israel from Mount Sinai, uh, and he talks about how fearful that experience was for them with the, this uh, blazing mountain and the, the earth quaking, and God speaking like a like a trumpet, and the people are so afraid they they say Moses, you talk to God, but don't have God talk to us anymore. Uh, they were afraid of that. And verse 21 says, indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But then verse 22 says, but you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem to the immutable, uh, innumerable angels in festal gathering. And so he's contrasting what we now have in the new covenant through the Lord Jesus Christ and how we can come to Christ, our mediator of the new covenant, verse 20 says, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And he, there is a warning there also. He warns that if if the people in that day did not listen to to God who shook them, the earth or the mountain, the physical, how much more... Uh, the challenge it is for us to listen, who will not only shake the earth, but the heavens as well. And, and then he says in verse 27, the phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so what he's getting at is that we have received a kingdom, a heaven, Uh, an inheritance with the Lord that cannot be shaken, cannot be moved. Uh, And then he says, therefore, let us be grateful. Uh, Some translation says, let us have grace um, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That's what we want to do this morning. We want to remember who our God is and the great grace that's been extended to us that we can know him that we can worship him together this morning. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, so much for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can come together, that we might worship you, that we might lift our hearts and minds and voices to you. We might hear your word. We are indeed a, a people that are blessed beyond all other to know you, to have your word, to have the indwelling spirit of God within us. We thank you for that this morning. Help us, Lord, to arrest our hearts and minds and allow the Word of God to saturate our thinking this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. by sinful man, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power of the cross, Christ became sin for us, turned we As its maker bows his head, hurt and torn into death. to death, life is mine to live, one through yourself.
2: Good morning, let us pray together. Onze Vader, ons staan voor u in die wete dat die voorhangsel geskeur is, geskeur dier die dood van onze Here en middelaar, is Seen, die Here Jezus Christus. In sy naam kom ons tot u. Ons kom om te beleid, om ons verzoeken tot u terug, en ons lof aan u te bring. Ons erken dat ons skuldig voor u staan, Ons buig ons hoof in schaamte en beleid dat ons i wet veroortreed dat ons die geboeie niet nakom nie. Sou ons behandel na wat ons verdient? sou niemand van ons oorleef nie. Ons beleid dat ons die toren verdien en verewig uit die teenwoordigheid verband behoorte wordt, maar hy het medelije met ons I verstaan. En gee ons vrijmoedigheid om naar die troon van genade te komen. Ons komen in de naam van die Here Jezus. Hij is ons hoepriester. Hij is ons gerechtigheid. Hij is ons verlosser. Hij is ons heilig maken. Hij is U geliefde zien en wie U er welbaarheid. Dank je voor i onverdiende guns aan ons dit wat U op ons uitgestort het. Dank je vir kos en kleren, dank je huis om in te woon, dank je vir gesinne waar ons mekaar kan liefhe, dank je vir Agape, Baptiste, waar je ons geloof, gebouw en versterk het, waar ons nou opgevoed en geleerd wordt om jy wil te ken. Hemelse Vader, ik ken ons behoeftes, Jy ken die gebedslijf wat ons op die voor jy hou. U weet van elkeen wat met ziekte, pijn en ongemak worstel. En ons wordt herinner aan die woord wat sê, Heer sy wonde het daar vir ons genezen gekomen. Jy weet van elkeen wat bekommerd is oor hulle financiële en hulle situasie wat levensonderhoud betreft en ons weet dat die Heere Jezus ons geleer het om te bid, gee ons vandag ons dagelijkse brood. Je weet van hulle wat op reis is, alle wat weg is, en wat die bewarende hand oor hulle nodig het, ons bid vir hulle. Jy weet ook van die wat konflikt en hulle juwelijk en hulle bezigheid en hulle persoonlijke leven op die oomlik ervaar. Ons wordt bemoedigd, die Paulus wat sê, en my God zal in elke behoefte van julle voorzien, volgens die rijkdom van sy genade. Nou bid ons vir die prediker wat vanochtend die woord aan ons zal bring, en ons word herinner aan die skrif wat sê, as iemand die gave ontvang het om te preek, moet God dierom aan die woord kom, spreek jeren i die diensknech en jy die diensmaag, luister, in Jesus' name, but on Amen. The uh, text for this morning's
3: message is from 1 John 1 and 2. I'd just like us to read that together. 1 John 1, 1. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life which was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of Christ, is of God, is perfected. But this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same, same way in which he walked.
0: Well, I'm glad to um, have uh, Dr. Dave Drellinger with us this morning. Uh, Dr. Drellinger is the uh, regional director for uh, Southern Africa for a mission agency that... Um, we're with and uh, remember Julie and was with and in the poplins also, ABWE, and so it's a it's a privilege to have him here. I've been here this weekend and I ask him to come and speak for us. Dr. Drellinger, uh has been in ministry for over sixty years. Of course, he was ordained when he was ten, and uh, so he. <laughs> <laughs> so, but he served in uh, as a professor. Uh, theological training at uh, Cedarville University for uh, 19 years, and then instead of retiring and going to Florida, uh, he uh, came to South Africa to serve here and has been in Cape Town, I think, for 13 years now, working there at Mountain View and helping ministry there, and then also in theological training there in the Cape, and so it's a privilege to uh, to have uh, Dave, Dr. Ellinger. Come and speak to us, thank you, brother.
4: It is a real joy to be with you today, and I thank Pastor Bryant for allowing me the opportunity to be at Agape Baptist Church this morning. I pray for you all every Friday, and trust the Lord to bless the ministry of your pastor and your congregation and all who are involved in your desire to share the gospel with the residents of George, your neighbors and friends and family. And uh, I believe that we are a network of churches designed by God to be in this beautiful country, serving the beautiful cultural fabric of South Africa. People ask me how long it took me to adjust. And I say about 30 seconds. I had the opportunity to come out in 2004 with my sister. She is a licensed professional Christian counselor, and we came out for a couple of weeks and served with Pastor Tom Wolfe, over in uh, Somerset West, Cape Town, and met uh, Pastor Brian and Sharon at that time. Came back out in 2007 to inspect and investigate whether or not it would be, whether there would be a spot for me here. And I have to tell you, when I went back to the States, flying between Washington, D.C. and Ohio, I was so homesick for South Africa, my chest hurt. There was a physiological effect of having to leave South Africa and go back to the States. So a year later I came back and uh, other than a few trips here and there, I haven't left. Uh, My heart is here, my ashes are supposed to be scattered on Falls Bay and um, I just plan to go to heaven from South Africa. So last summer I thought I was going, or last year this summer in the States, but last August I thought I was going to heaven from South Africa. I caught COVID and some of you did and that was an interesting experience. But I'm thanking the Lord for his grace, the opportunity not only to be alive and well, although heaven is preferable, of course, uh, it is my joy to have the opportunity this morning to spend with you. In the church calendar, this is Palm Sunday, commemoration of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on the first day of the week before he then would be crucified at the end of the week. Next week, we celebrate and honor and remember Christ's death and resurrection on uh, what we refer to in our church in in the Cape area as Easter Friday rather than Good Friday, but Easter Friday and then certainly Sunday. The world is put on notice again, whether they respond to it or not. The world is put on notice that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a cross outside Jerusalem and he was raised again the third day. He is not still in the grave. And I pray this Easter and Easter's to come, or Resurrection Sundays, perhaps we should call it, that the world will not only be aware of the message, they will respond to its truth. Uh, We see a society just gone amok, not just because of COVID, but the loosening of morals, the lack of conviction, uh, the postmodern movement that has deprived people of any confidence that there is absolute truth uh, has really undermined uh, the fabric of our society and uh, I pray and I trust you will pray that this celebration of the resurrection of Christ might have an impact on people who have lived this past year in fear without a whole lot of hope if they don't know Christ and I believe it's a rich opportunity for us to make known our hope and the gift of eternal life that is offered to all who will believe. I would like for us to address this morning a subject that is close to my heart, and I believe that it ought to be close to the heart of every Christian. Sometimes in the busyness of our society and the many distractions that surround us, it's easy to be drawn away from a priority that God the Father has put on us, and that is to enter into <clears throat> excuse me and enjoy, experience intimacy with God. 1 John, from which uh, Josh read just a moment ago, is actually a love letter from the Father to those who have come to him by faith in Jesus Christ. The word Father is used 13 times in 1 John, and in every instance that it is used, it is a challenge to his children to draw near to him, to know him, to understand that the mission of Jesus Christ was not just to provide redemption, but to provide for us a relationship with God. And that relationship, not just I come to him, to Christ by faith in order to become a child of God, but then to enter into those dimensions of intimacy with God that were not possible before. Pastor Bright referred us today to Hebrews chapter 12 and he mentioned what happened at Sinai when the earth shook and the thunder and fire and smoke around the mountain and the loudness of the trumpet. And in all of that, not only, <clears throat> excuse me, not only <clears throat> did the people quake in fear, God said, Stand back. Don't touch the mountain. Don't come near the mountain. Don't let your animals come near the mountain. But on this side of the cross and the resurrection, God says, Draw near, come close, come with confidence into the throne of grace or the throne room of grace. And I believe that God craves intimacy with us. And I would like for us to just give that some thought in the time we had together this morning. J. Oswald Sanders, in his book, Enjoying Intimacy with God, writes, both scripture and experience teach that it is we, not God, who determine the degree of intimacy with him, sorry, that we enjoy. We are at this moment as close to God as we choose to be. On the screen is italicized, and the emphasis is from the book. That's J. Oswald Sanders saying emphatically, we are as close to God at this moment as we choose to be. The scripture is punctuated with individuals who did enjoy intimacy with God. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to tell us students that Enoch and God were out for a walk one day and they walked late into the afternoon and at the end of the day, God said, hey, Enoch, we're closer to my house than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me today? Enoch walked with God. God says of Moses, with this man, I speak face to face as a man speaks with a friend. But I like how David put it in Psalm 63, out in the wilderness, separated from everything that was familiar, alienated from his son, Absalom, away from the tabernacle that he had constructed to house the ark, abandoning the throne, thank you, and perhaps even thinking, thank you, Pastor, that he no longer had any spiritual value. When he was headed for the wilderness before writing this psalm, Shimmai came out throwing dirt and stones and so on at the king. And David's associates were ready to kill him. And David said, no, it may be that this is ordained of God and I, I'm no longer worthy to sit on the throne. But even with all of those emotions, perhaps even entertaining doubt, David penned these words in Psalm 63O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Our modern translations earnestly will come back to that. And listen to Spurgeon's comments Observe the eagerness implied in the time mentioned. He will not wait for noon or the cool eventide. He is up at cock crowing to meet his God. Communion with God is so sweet that the chill of the morning is forgotten and the luxury of the couch is despised. The morning is the time for dew and freshness, and the psalmist consecrates it to prayer and devout fellowship, intimacy." The word early has not only the sense of early in the morning, but that of eagerness, immediateness. He who truly longs for God, longs for him now. With all of the negative emotions, with all of the effects of being driven out of Jerusalem by the rebellion of his own son, David's heart was drawn to God. And in the desert regions, in the wilderness, away from the metropolitan area of Jerusalem, Away from the palace, they have said, God, I seek you. I just want to spend time with you. And I get up early in the morning to do that. Now, for people who are by vintage, getting up early in the morning is really not a problem. No matter how early we go to bed or how late we go to bed, it seems that we wake up early in the morning. And I don't hear a rooster outside my window, but I do hear the imam and the call to prayer at the mosque that is located not too far from my home. And it's an opportunity in the quietness of the morning to just spend time with God. And I would like to suggest this morning that one of the privileges of believers this side of the cross is to enter into that closeness with God that David craved. And I would like for us just to address that this morning, looking first of all at 1 John chapter 1, but to be aware of the fact that sin nullifies our relationship or our intimacy with God. We don't lose our salvation, don't misunderstand. But sin drives a wedge between us and God, and the loss of the joy of intimacy can intrude to the effect that we no longer crave that time with God. Look at 1 John chapter one, where John says in verse four, if we say that we have intimacy with God and we walk in the darkness, we what? We lie. We're not really telling the truth. I'm reminded of the external spirituality of the Pharisees who by their external appearance with washings and the robes that they wore with the long fringes and all of that, there was an external religiosity, but Jesus said, you know, inside you stink. You're full of dead men's bones. You're, you're like a graveyard walking around. There was no intimacy with God. There was no closeness with God even to the point that they would kill the son of God or demand his murder. They did not know God. And there are many people like that in the world today. Religious, yes. Maybe even calling themselves Christians, yes. Perhaps even born again Christians. But wearing an external spirituality that is a hypocritical statement to a world that is watching because inside there's a detachment from God. There's a breach Of fellowship. There is an interruption of intimacy. In 1 John John chapter 1 and verse 8, John says, if we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. And what John is saying there, if I say that I no longer have a capacity for sinning, I'm just kidding myself. I'm as vulnerable to sinning today after being a member of the family of God since November 2nd, 1958, as I was on the 3rd of November, 1958. We all had that capacity for sinning. We faced the enemies of the world, the flesh and the devil, that would love nothing more than to interrupt our desire for intimacy with God and somehow distract us from even cultivating intimacy with God. It's there, it's always there. And the sin nature is like the Trojan horse on the inside. That even though we may be victorious over Satan, so we're not lying and stealing and some of the things that Satan would cause us to do, there's still envy and strife and jealousy and all of those sins inside us that many times carry us away from intimacy with God. So if I say that I have no capacity for sinning, I'm just deceiving myself. I'm kidding myself. John goes on to say, if I suggest that I have not sinned, then I make God a liar, because God says there are sins, and the Holy Spirit grieves when we have sinned. And the idea is to bring us to that place of agreeing with God about the sin in our lives that is interrupting fellowship with him. We may take comfort or we may kid ourselves that we've not been guilty of the biggies, no sexual sin, no sins of addiction, no drunkenness, and so on. But is there anything in our hearts that causes us to have a spirit of bitterness or resentment toward a brother and sister in Christ? Paul seemed to suggest that in 1 Corinthians 11 when he gives instructions for how to take the bread and the juice in the time of the Lord's Supper and do so worthily. He says if there's anything amiss between you and a brother or a sister, you need to resolve that before you come to the Lord's table. So to have a spirit of resentment or a root of bitterness or to hold a grudge against a brother or sister, to gossip about them, to be envious of them, to be jealous and so on, those are sins that breach our fellowship with God. 1 John chapter 4, we obviously aren't going to get to that today, but John says, if I say that I love God, but I don't love the brother or sister that is next to me, I'm a liar. How can I love God whom I have not seen if I don't love the brother or sister that I do see and spend time with and go to church with and so on? So the, the whole idea of 1 John chapter 1 is to remind us that sin nullifies our intimacy with God. And the remedy for that is not to suggest or pretend that I don't have the capacity for it, or that I try to excuse the sin that is in my life, calling a lie a fib rather than a lie, or a white lie instead of a black lie. I've never understood the difference in that. When I was a kid, there used to be little sayings published in the church bulletin. We really don't do that anymore, but I remember my mom used to cut them out and tape them to the wall, and the place that she would tape them to the wall was right above my place at the table for eating a meal. And I'm not sure if she thought that by osmosis, I would somehow absorb all those little catchy sayings. But I remember this one vividly. Even white lies are black. God saves us from our sins, not in them. And I will never forget that. My mom would not tolerate even a white lie because it was sin. And so the solution is not to pretend I can't sin or to suggest that I haven't sinned. It's to say the same thing about it that God says. That's what confession means in 1 John 1.9. If I say the same thing, if I agree with God about the sin, then he responds with forgiveness. I don't have to beg him to forgive me. I just have to agree with him that what I am confessing is as abhorrent to me as it is to him. That intimacy with him is more important to me than any pleasure the sin might have brought. Because intimacy with God is something to be craved. He craves intimacy with us. That's why he walked in the garden in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. That's why Christ died on the cross. That's why the invitation now is to come boldly before the the, the throne of grace. God says, come close. I want to put the everlasting arms around you and hug you up tight. I want you to feel the warmth of my embrace. I want the Holy Spirit to whisper the sweet words of my truth into your ear. All of those things that we associate with being close to other people, God wants us to crave that in a relationship with him. Sin nullifies our intimacy with God. But obedience verifies our intimacy with God. Notice chapter 2 where John writes basically the opposite of what he's written in chapter 1, when he says, excuse me, the primary, I, I just skipped over it, the positive, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. The NIV says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, must walk as Jesus did. I've been reading through the Gospel of John, finishing up this reading of the Gospels for this calendar year. And I love the various references to Jesus. While it was yet dark, this is Mark's Gospel, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went out privately to pray. In John 6, when he dispatched the disciples to get on the boat and go across the the Sea of Galilee. He went up into the mountain to pray. He sought time with the Father to pray. And so I would suggest that one of the things that John is talking about here is that Jesus craved intimacy with the Father. It was not the norm for him. Philippians chapter two tells us that Jesus being in a relationship with God in the heavens before the incarnation had that kind of intimacy with God that now he set aside in order to come to the earth, be made in the likeness of men, and was ultimately headed for the cross. But while he was on earth, he sought opportunity to get back in touch with his father. I would suggest to you, Jesus missed the father. He wanted to be with the father. He longed to return to the father. John 17 I am coming back to you. Restore to me the glory that I shared with you before the world was. Jesus desired that. and John suggests that obedience to the commands of God put us in a place to be Christ-like, to walk as Jesus did, and to experience that craving for intimacy with God. So he gives us the balance, if you will, that while sin is that which nullifies with God and breaches that relationship of closeness. Obedience gives us the opportunity to draw near, to find the closeness of God, to be in his presence and to love it, to desire to be close to God and to crave it, to understand that intimacy with God is something that he wants and it becomes a priority for us as well not just dropping in and out for a brief visit, but cultivating closeness with God. And it doesn't happen when we willfully break his commands. 1 well, John chapter three says his commands are very simple, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another. That we don't live under the enslavement of the 600 plus commands, statutes, laws and ordinances of the Old Testament. John says there are just two. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us a commandment. So I ask you this morning, have you obeyed the first command? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and raised again according to the scriptures? That's a celebration next week, I should say every Sunday perhaps, when we meet on the first day of the week in commemoration of the resurrection of Christ. Does that mean something to you? Do you revel in the joy of knowing the risen Christ, not the sadness of a dead Savior or an empty religion, but rather that Christ is alive? and eternal life is yours for the taking. It's a gift that God offers. If you will believe and be saved. The second command is a little more probing, is it not? Do we love one another as Christ has loved us? John 13, a new commandment I give unto you that you love, one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. John in his epistle writes several times I'm not referring to an old commandment, I'm referring to a new commandment. What did the old commandment say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, most of us don't have a low opinion of ourselves unless we struggle with an inferiority, inferiority complex, and so we apologize for the air that we're breathing or the space that we're taking up that could be occupied by someone better than I am. I don't understand that. My mom was plagued with that a little bit. Us kids grew up with her almost apologizing for being alive. But most everybody has some level of love for themselves. And so the Old Testament says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, the greatest command is to love God. The second is like it, love your neighbor. But then he gives a new commandment. That sets a new standard. I am supposed to love you as Christ loves you. What kind of love is that? The name of your church, agape love. Unconditional. Whether you love me back or not, I am to love you. That's the command. John, or excuse me, Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he says, I will very gladly spend everything I am and everything I have to prove my love to you, even though the more I love you, the less you love me. Wow, to love like that, that's the way Jesus loves, but that's the way he commands us to love. And so what John says, this is the way we show our love, this is the way that we cultivate intimacy with God, is to obey his commands, to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, so to have that Intimacy with the Father, but also to love one another so that there is intimacy among his children. Obedience verifies our intimacy with God. Thirdly, worship intensifies our intimacy with God. Back to chapter 1 and verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have intimacy with one another. Now, the first idea is to say, if we, children of God, walk in the light, as God is in the light, then we have intimacy with one another. But that's not the verse. It's vertical intimacy, not horizontal intimacy. And that has to come first. My intimacy with God has to then be that which allows for and enables me to have intimacy with his children. But notice what the last part of the verse says. We have intimacy with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So the idea John is putting forth there is that I can have an intimacy with God and know a freedom from sinning that suggests the ability to enter into his presence, not just to articulate my wish list in prayer, but to worship God, even as Hebrews reminded us this morning. Acceptable worship. And what is that acceptable worship? Jesus says we must worship him in spirit and in truth. I would submit to you that the S there should be capitalized. We worship him in the power and the enablement of the Holy Spirit and in accordance with his word. I don't bring my offerings as Cain did, saying I hope this will please you. Rather, I come in accordance with what God has said to provide acceptable worship. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, we worship in the power of the Spirit. So to assume that Jesus meant the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures being the means by which and the guidance by which we would worship God acceptably, I don't believe is too far afield. But as we worship God, that intimacy is intensified. If you look at Rome, or excuse me, Revelation chapter 4, the worship that is addressed to the Father, honoring Him as Creator, And the saints fall down and cast their crowns before the Father. There's a song that we sing, casting our crowns at the feet of Jesus, but according to Scripture, we cast our crowns at the feet of the Father, and we worship Him. And there's an intimacy there, where casting our crowns before Him suggests a proximity to the throne of the Father. But there's also intimacy with the Son in chapter 5, where instead of offering our crowns, we provide the bowls of incense that are the prayers of the saints and we worship the son. God the father is creator, the son is our redeemer. And the suggestion is that even intimacy with God in heaven is going to be intensified by our worship. Understanding who God is, acknowledging who God is, celebrating who God is, just intensifies that sense of closeness and proximity to God. To me, that's what makes heaven wonderful. Not floating around on a cloud somewhere, playing a harp, disconnected from everything else that's going on in heaven, but drawing near. Can you imagine the big soccer arena in the sky? It's going to be football arena in heaven. It's soccer in the States. Pardon me, it's football in South Africa. But think of the stadium, which were built for the World Cup, And I believe that that's what the throne of grace is like or the throne of God is like where we are encircling the throne and think of those that are privileged to be closest to the throne because they have been faithful and they're awarded the crowns for faithfulness and the joy that is theirs to be so close to God. We should covet that and that then should cultivate in us that desire for intimacy here, John says in one John chapter three, if we have the hope of heaven and the idea that we'll be like him for we shall see him as he is, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. See, sin nullifies our intimacy with God. It it leaves us dirty it leaves us unable to come close to the throne, perhaps like Adam and Eve, hiding behind a fig bush somewhere because we're ashamed of the sin that is in our hearts. God said, don't hide, just come clean. Just confess it. Get it out of the way and come back into my presence. I forgive you. I welcome you. Now just engage on a path of obedience so your intimacy with me can be verified and validated on a day-by-day basis. And then worship me. Draw close, hug tight, sing loud, pray much, worship me, and know the increasing depth, breadth, and intensity of love for me. Fourthly, Christlikeness exemplifies our intimacy with God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talks about the experience of Christlikeness being a process, And he speaks in the first part of chapter 3 about the law written in stone. But he says, you Corinthians are a letter written in our hearts. And then he goes on to talk about the contrast again between Moses, who spent time in the presence of God. And he would come away from the presence of God with this external glow on his face. And the Israelites would look at that, and at first they were smitten with fear because this glow somehow brought conviction to their hearts that Moses had a relationship with God that they did not enjoy. God told them, stand back. He told Moses, come up close. And the result of that was a shining, radiant face. But Paul says, when Moses put the veil across his face, it wasn't to keep the Israelites from being afraid. It was to keep them from seeing that the glow would fade in time that the times between Moses' proximity to God would result in the glow fading away. But for you and me, the glow is not exterior. It is an internal radiance from Christ being in me. And he says in verse 18, we are being transformed from one level of glory to the next. The word "transformed" is metamorphosis. Probably the most familiar illustration of metamorphosis is the worm turning into a butterfly. I'm not going to compare us to worms. I don't believe God sees us as worms. But the transformation of a sinner to a mature saint is metamorphosis. To be transferred from a likeness to Adam to a likeness to Christ is metamorphosis. And you know the the difficult thing about all of that? We aren't given the privacy of the cocoon for that transition to take place. It's just happening right out in front of God and everybody. And so if we're more like Adam than we are like Christ, everybody knows. Especially the people that live with us. And my wife knew better than anybody how where I was on the scale, whether I was being Adam or being Jesus. My kids knew that. My friends knew that. My co workers knew that. My staff members of the church knew that. My colleagues at the university knew when I was more like Adam than I was like Jesus. And so we cultivate that Christ-likeness that is exemplified through intimacy with the Heavenly Father. As I understand Scripture, that's God's will for every believer. Have you ever pondered in the years of your relationship with Christ? That is, assuming that you have one, don't misunderstand. But if you have a relationship with Jesus, have you considered, I wonder what God's will is for me to marry? Gosh, you probably thought about that, and you did too. And Dan thought about that, and Pastor Brian thought about that, and you did too, and I did too. I met my wife in January. We got engaged in March, and we got married in June. Don't tell the young people that that happens, but it worked. And we were married for 37 years before she graduated to glory. What is God's will for where I live? What I do for a career? And we think about all of that stuff that is temporal, really, But God in his word reveals to us that his will for us is to be conformed to the image of his son. And sometimes he uses the tool of suffering, Romans chapter 8, to accomplish that objective in us. But the end result is the joy of looking like Jesus. Sin nullifies our intimacy with God. Obedience verifies our intimacy with God. Worship intensifies our intimacy with God. Christ-likeness exemplifies our intimacy with God. You crave it, you want it, you hunger for it, you thirst for it. How urgently, how intensely is that an aspiration of your heart? I believe it's important for us to take time to cultivate intimacy with God. For me, it's early in the morning. I'm a morning person. and I understand that's not always possible for everybody. I think of dads who have to get up early to go to work, moms who have to get up early to take care of children. And the day is pretty much scheduled out for us because of commitments that we have as well. And God understands that as well. I don't think he validates the morning as being a better time of intimacy than any other time of day. But the point is, I believe, it's important to make time, to make a time to be with God. When I was pastoring, I developed a little card our people, and we called it a contact contract. And the idea was to set a time for each day when I'm going to meet with God, whether it's 6 a.m. or 7 p.m. or 3 p.m. or whatever it was, to write it down, and then to sign it. I'm signing this contract with God, that I'm going to meet with him every day at that particular time. It's important to make a time. If we don't, time will just get away from us. Something will interrupt. Something will intrude. Something will distract. And we go to bed at the evening saying, you know, Father, I, I didn't have time to spend with you today, but thank you for being with me through the day. Forgive me of my sins. Now give me a good night's rest. Good night. I'll see you tomorrow. That's how intimacy up with God. Make time. Secondly is make a plan. I use the McShane method for reading through the Bible in a year. And I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but you start on January 1 with Genesis 1, Ezra 1, Matthew 1, and Acts 1. And then you read through those books and beginnings, and ultimately the plan takes you through the Old Testament once, the Psalms and the New Testament twice. It's a great way to read the Bible through in a year. And you don't get bogged down in Leviticus and say, Lord, this is too hard for me. Like the disciples in John 6, this is too hard for me. I need to go someplace else. But you get through Leviticus because you're reading in other parts of the Bible as well. Don't misunderstand. I'm not Cassius versions on the book of Leviticus, but you know, those guidelines aren't for us today. And so it's easy to get lost, is it not? Let's just be honest. But the McShane method gives you a variety of input. And many times the scriptures are parallel. And I don't get any honorarium for promoting the McShane method. It's just one that I find very helpful. But there are many out there today, the U version that is available on your iPads or your phones or whatever to read the version that you like and to find a plan for reading through that you like. Uh, Many different plans, but to make a plan, to be in the Word. And then thirdly, I believe it is important to keep a journal, write it down. What did you read? What did that mean? This morning, my reading was in Exodus 38, where the people brought all of the stuff for the tabernacle, the boards and the curtains and the sockets and the ark and the altar and the altar is plural and all of that and the end verse says and moses blessed the people they had done what god told them they made the contributions mesaliel and aholiab had constructed everything for the tabernacle and its furnishings and moses looked at them and saw what they had done saw the results of the work of these artisans he blessed the people The reading also included John 18, where Jesus was arrested, hauled before Annas, and then before Caiaphas, and then before Pilate. And in chapter 19, he's going to be hauled out to Golgotha, carrying his cross. Also Philippians chapter 2, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Just the freshest of God's word for each day. I write it down in my journal, and then I pray it back. God, this is what I read. Thank you for what I learned from this passage. Thank you for this verse that stands out in Proverbs this morning. Humility comes before honor. How many times do we have to be reminded of that to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord? I'm not not trying to impress you. Don't misunderstand. I'm just saying I live where you do. The imperative of making intimacy with God a priority. And here's one you may or may not like. Memorize verses. How many of you still don't raise your hand? We should still be memorizing verses, right? I'm still trying to memorize some verses from Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart O God and renew a right spirit within me. Um, It's important to memorize verses. We want that for our kids. I remember one of the first verses I learned, children, obey your parents. How many of you learned that before you could learn anything else? Didn't even know the ABCs yet, but you knew children, obey your parents. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. My mom used to tell us that around Christmas time when it was time to give gifts to other people rather than being concerned about our own. Remember, God loves a cheerful giver. And, and yes, I understand that. But forgive us, the Lord has forgiven you. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself up for us, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. To memorize the verses, you know, when Jesus was resisting the temptation of the devil, he didn't wave a scroll around to try to keep the devil at bay. He quoted specific verses. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall. So when we think about intimacy with God, my concern today is that we understand it should be a priority. And having acknowledged that, then we make it a priority. Remembering that sin can distract and interrupt and nullify, but obedience verifies our intimacy with God, especially knowing Christ as savior and loving one another. Worship is that which intensifies our intimacy with God. And finally, Christ likeness exemplifies our intimacy with God. Remember that Oswald Sanders says, Today you and I are as close to God as we choose to be. If we don't feel close to God today, we need to ask ourselves the question, Who moved? God does not moved. But we can draw near to Him. And the Bible says the result of that is the experiencing Him drawing near to us. I pray today you will choose intimacy with God to be a priority for life and adopt it as a way of life. Father, thank you for your word that is clear and plain, convicting, and certainly encouraging. Thank you for your desire to enjoy an intimate relationship with your children. Help us to crave that as well. That we would crave time in your presence more than the pleasures of the world. That we would seek intimacy with you as being more important than a TV program or a book that we're reading, and that the intimacy or time with you would at least come before we expend our time in other things. Not that those are sinful, Father, necessarily, but when they interrupt our time with you, then they're distracting and disruptive. Help us to be people who live by your priorities, and as a result to experience closeness, fellowship, intimacy with the God who loved us and His Son who gave Himself for us. We pray in Christ's name.
0: Amen. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. just have a couple announcements I want to remind you of. Um, we'll have on Friday the Good Friday service, our regular time at 9 o'clock, and then, of course, the Easter Sunday morning as normal. And so I trust you'll be able to join us for that. And also, we're we're going to have a tea. We're going to start back having our tea after, after the services. So if you feel comfortable uh, staying for that, there's some room back there, different tables uh, that you can stand or sit at. So uh, feel free to, uh, to stay and join us for that. Uh, let me I want to close in prayer, and I want to pray for um, Milana. The I, saw, I think you saw in the um, prayer that went out, most of you did, that was hit by the car and uh, she broke her leg and I'm not sure what the extent of the damage was done, but she had the operation. She's able to be back home now. That's a a daughter, eight-year-old daughter of one of the families that's been visiting the uh, Rosalind uh, family. And so that's Milana. Milana, if you can remember remember to pray for her. So let's close in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your blessing to be here this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and just to be able to um, fellowship together uh, and worship you together. We thank you, Lord, that we can know you and we can have fellowship with you. We can have intimacy with you, Lord. What a what a great privilege that is. Lord, help us not to take it for granted, but help us, Lord, to crave and desire uh, to draw closer to you. I pray, Lord, that uh, you would uh, now, uh, be with this family and uh, the daughter that was injured and the operation. We thank you went well and we just pray for, for healing and just uh, pray, Lord, that your grace might bring them strength and comfort uh, in this time. And so we thank you, Lord, for your mercies. And uh, she wasn't injured more seriously, had a very uh, serious accident. And so we. Thank you, Lord, for watching out for us every day in many ways that we are not even aware of, that you uh, protect us and you keep us. And Lord, when we do suffer, when we do get sick, or we have injuries, or we have problems, Lord, help us to uh, draw even closer to you, realizing that uh, you are with us, you're there to guide and direct us, and that there's no real accidents, but that you're the sovereign God who is who is with us in every detail of life. You're leading and guiding and directing us and that your hand is upon us, Lord, to to guide us to walk with you, to obey you, to draw closer to you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.